As we begin to delve into this, I'd like to start back with this concept of us being living stones and being built into a spiritual house. It's a really strange thing to imagine, right? Living stones being fashioned together. You know, I think Peter probably had something in mind that was very orderly. And, and certainly God, our creator, is very orderly. But when my limited mind <laughs> tries to imagine building living stones, this is kind of what I picture. This is a youth activity we did once. And the mama in me was cringing the entire time because somebody was going to get hurt. But this is what I have, I have pictured. And you can see the people on top look real happy. And the people on the bottom are like, dear Lord, get them off. Can't even see some of them because they're so buried. That's what I picture when I think of living stones. But seriously, beyond the how God is building, there's a why. And we may never be able to comprehend how God does what he does, but he gives us some insights into why he does what he does. And it's the why that compels us to obedience. Because I think most of us kind of go obedience. We don't, I don't, I think at the core of our, the rebel nature that we're born with, none of us really like obedience. So we wrestle with that. We struggle with it. And so something must compel us to obedience. And that's where these whys come in. All right, we're going to look at Ephesians 4 for a moment for a little insight into the whys. Ephesians 4, starting with verse 11. You're welcome to follow along on the screen or in your Bibles. We also have free Wi-Fi if you'd like to connect a tablet or a smartphone. All right. Starting with verse 11 of Ephesians 4. So Christ gave himself to the... Try again. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. There's that term again, built. May be built up until we all reach unity in the faith And in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. It's a lot, but I think we can handle it. Why? are we being built? We were able to identify some very specific things in that passage of why he is doing what he is doing. Number one, so we can be unified in our faith. Does this mean that we are going to agree on everything? Unified in faith, in purpose, called to vision. So we can know Jesus. 
I just want to add here, when this stuff is being written, when this was being written, there was no New Testament. They didn't have Bibles. So after Jesus died, knowing Jesus came through stories about him, just like we have stories about him, and it came through his spirit. I think that's really important to understand that there was a lot of knowledge about God and the promised Messiah through the Old Testament, through the scriptures. And they had that, but guess what? They didn't have it in their homes. That was not something available to everybody, especially not in a phone in 14 languages. It was something you had to choose as a, as a believer to go to the temple to hear the Old Testament things about Jesus, the Messiah, if you wanted to know those things. It was a very intentional decision. So knowing Jesus, the privilege that we have, that we share with this church in Ephesus, is that we have a lot of written words that they probably didn't even have. They had stories that were shared. But the thing that we share is the ability to know Jesus through his spirit. And that has been the same yesterday. It is the same today. And it will be the same tomorrow. That's huge. Number three, why are we being built together? So we can be mature and stable in our faith, not babies. I love the imagery of being tossed to and fro. Because I don't know about you, but I have felt that way many times. And as a believer, it's, there's a lot of peace in knowing that Jesus can pick me up out of that storm or just raise his hand at my life and say, be still. Be still. He wants to mature us. He's doing this thing that we do together to mature us and make us stable. We're being built together so we can experience the fullness of God. And so we can function as Christ's body in our world. Here at Vineyard, we have a saying, everyone gets to play. Have you heard it? Raise your hand if you've heard. Anybody heard that saying? Hopefully, if you've been here for a little while, you've heard the saying, everyone gets to play. This is not just a Vineyard Rala thing. If you visit just about any vineyard in the world, you would probably find this saying is distinctive to our culture as a movement. But the reason it's important is not because we don't want people left out. I mean, we don't want you to be left out, truly. Nobody wants anybody to have hurt feelings. But the reason this is important is it's not simply everyone gets to play. It's everyone is designed to play. Every one of you is designed to play. How many of you played sports as teenagers or children? Raise your hands. Okay, so many, many of us, yay, Damon up there in the balcony. Many of us played sports as teenagers and children. Some of you still play sports. It's amazing. How many of you dreamed when you signed up for those teams of sitting on the bench? How many of you dreamed, (laughs) I've got one hand back there, stinker. How many of us dream of sitting out? Not many of us. I played basketball in fourth and fifth grade. 
I was a full head taller than any other kid on the team. And I was the scrawniest too, which whatever. But naturally, because I was the tallest, they made me the center. If you know anything about basketball, that's the person who guards the net, defends the basket, draws the charge. You want people to, to knock into you and bring the, bring the foul. And you make the inside shots. I wasn't real good. <laughs> I wasn't a really good basketball player, for sure. Um, I was terrified of getting hit. I'm such a girly girl, y'all. It is not even funny. Oh, I'm terrified of getting hit. The ball's coming at me. I'm doing this instead of this. I'm, I'm even afraid of shooting the ball. I'm looking for people to pass it to so it doesn't have to be me. I was pretty dreadful. <laughs> pretty dreadful. But I loved playing basketball. I loved being a part of the team. I loved practicing on my neighbor's dirt court, red clay, North Carolina. Woo. And when I got something right to hear my parents and my sister cheering for me and all the little awkward butt slaps from my teammates, why couldn't we just hug? I'm a hugger. Nobody wanted to hug me on the court, but hey, some things never change. <laughs> I loved being an active part of a team. And I knew the team captain, Danielle Ray. I can still see her face. I knew she was the strongest player. I can see her face running down the court, freckles and red and sweat, calling plays. She was the point guard. And I can see her, and she was strong and swift, and she knew what to do, and she was sure, and she wanted the ball, which I didn't. I can see her, and I remember learning from her to be brave, learning from her to go after it. I learned a lot from Danielle. I think I knew early on that I was never going to be the female Michael Jordan. Like, he was my hero. You got to understand, growing up in North Carolina in the 80s, 1983, Michael Jordan, boom, he was the man. And we all wanted to be like Mike. But I knew that that was not in the cards for me. But I sure did love helping my team, doing my part, trying to win the game. We love that stuff, don't we? We love it. But we approach the church like it's a spectator sport. Hey, I'm up here. You guys sit there. Because this is what we see, right? This is what we see on Sunday. Somebody stands up front and does the thing, and you do the thing out there, and you stand sometimes, and you sit sometimes, and you cheer sometimes. It feels like a spectator sport. We attend church rather than being the church. And there is a dramatic, dramatic difference between the two. And one of them requires real obedience. That's hard. We're going to come back to that though. All right, let's look at that last verse from Ephesians again. From him, Christ, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up 
in love as each part does its work. As each part does its work. Not just as the pastors do their job. Not just as the teachers do their part. As each part. That's all of us. That's you, me, everybody in this room. You have a part to play. Obedience in ministry requires that we acknowledge that we are all called. Maybe you don't feel very called. (laughs) But when you say yes to Jesus and say yes to the kingdom and say, I want to give you my life, you say yes to bringing his kingdom wherever you are. Every one of us is called. The scripture does not say when the vital organs are functioning properly. It does not say when the hands and the feet are serving. It does not say when the face is smiling and the brain is processing. It says as each part does its work, all of us. But let's continue with this body imagery. I'm a science person, so I really, really dig these scriptures. And guys, we're scripture heavy today. I hope you'll stay with me because I feel like God is saying this to us through his word. And it means taking the time, setting aside the time to open the word and let it say what it says. You with me? Okay. So we're continuing with this. But we're going to jump over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you want to jump over there. We're going to start in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul has this to say to the church in Corinth and to the church today. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given, you, me, all of us, we were all given the same spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, well, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, well, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. It would not for that reason stop being part of the body either. And if the whole body were an eye, imagine that. I I see Sauron. Anybody else? Where are my nerds at? I'm one. I see the eye of Sauron. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. 
And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. I love that. None of you is unimportant. None of you is without worth. None of you is without intrinsic value to this kingdom. Every single one of you, whether you feel it or not, I am saying true words. You have value and you are important. But here's the truth. Obedience in ministry requires that we accept our individual missions, get off the bench and go play. Play your part. Do your thing. Your thing ain't going to look like my thing. Thank God. <laughs> we need to be different. We need to be unique. And we need to use our voices. Some of us are louder and talk longer. Some of us are quieter and thoughtful and use less words. Tell me that is not vital. Those of you who are friends with talkers. My friends are grateful. I'm not their only friend. It's important. So what does it look like to be the hands and feet or elbows and knees of Jesus? We talk about his hands and feet a lot. We don't talk about the weenus. You know that little piece of skin on the back of your elbow? Do you know it has a name? Isn't that the name, Debbie? Okay, throwing her on the spot there. The weenus. Okay, sorry. Awkward. It's very awkward in here now. Sorry, but there's that little skin on the back of the elbow. It does something. It protects that bone where your funny bone is. And that hurts when you hit it. I'm glad there's protective stuff there. Even those silly parts are important. I love you, Jack. What does it mean to be the body of Christ? To be his parts? What did we see him doing with his actual body when he was here? Well, thankfully, we know something about that. We saw him feeding people, healing the sick, calling dead things to life, eating with sinners, bringing sight to the blind, honoring those society sneered at, and caring for the poor. In the same passage of John 14, where Jesus says, if you love me, obey my commands. He says, his followers will do everything he did and then some. What? That's crazy. We think that's crazy, but it's not. These things are possible. And should be evident in the life of the body. 
How this plays out for us, though, will look very different for each of us. Because we all have function. For example, I can stand up in front of a group of teenagers and adults and speak, and I'm not usually nervous or afraid of getting laughed at. Actually, when you laugh, I'm like, (laughs) I'm just kidding. But don't ask, oh gosh, when somebody has a baby and the email comes that says, do you want to take a meal? I literally break out in hives. Freaks me out. Cooking for other people is so anxiety-inducing for me that I dread those emails. Oh, right now, I'm sweating. Thinking about cooking. I cook for my family. They've not starved yet. But don't ask me to do that. I will get you a gift card to your favorite restaurant. It's not that I don't want to help. It's that that's not my gift. It's not what I do. And some of you are so good at that. You think of people before. I, I don't even know how you do it. You are so thoughtful. And thinking about the people need to eat. They've been through this stuff. They need, And you're thinking and doing the things before I've even registered. I'm having, having an anxiety attack. Does this make me a second class citizen? No. You, none of you would say I'm a second class citizen in this place. Nor are you if you don't feel called to youth ministry. Which I adore. And live and breathe for that. Love it. Each of us have things that we can do, should do, must do to be obedient to what God is asking of us. Going back to the spectator sport thing for just a second. It's easy to attend a sporting event, right? Fun, even. If you like sports, some of you are shaking your head and be like, yeah, not so much. But what about the athletes? Sure, I think there's an element of fun or they wouldn't do it. But don't you know there's a lot of work involved? The conditioning of the body, the bringing it into submission, the making it do what it needs to do, and then the actual game. It's hard. We're going to see some hard action today. People getting hit and hurt. It's hard work and they're dirty and they're sweaty. Don't you think the Christian life done properly is dirty and sweaty? We should be dirty from the work. And when we get in the shower, go, oh. Could it be that we attend church rather than being the church because it's easier? Could it be that it's safer to just attend? Yeah. Could it be, now this is just Paige, could it be that I'm lazy and selfish and don't want to spend my time the way God's asking me to spend my time? I'm not trying to step on anybody's toes but my own. When I say I am lazy sometimes, more often than I'd like to admit, I am selfish more often than I would like to admit. But these are real questions that we have to ask ourselves when we talk about obedience in ministry. If we're going to be 
like Jesus and do what he did. The serving of others, the working for restoration of bodies, minds, and lives is going to be tiring and dirty. But just as an athlete has a goal in mind, so do we. We have a goal. Submitting our will to his will transforms us and we get to be more like him in the process. The work should get a little easier as he replaces me. As his mind comes quicker, his thoughts come quicker. The effort pays rich dividends on their side and ours, but we have to get off the bench. Get off the bench. Let's play. Woo. Now, as you've been hearing these words, some of you are already doing battle internally or have tuned me out entirely. That's okay. I want to bring you back. That means it's time to address the butts. The buts are the things we hear in our minds that would potentially disqualify us from being obedient in ministry. Here's a list of some of the buts that I'm familiar with. But I've only been following Jesus a short time. But I'm, str- I'm still struggling with sin in my life. I must be disqualified. We're all sinners. Welcome to the club. But I don't have a lot of money to give. But I don't know my Bible that well. But I'm just so busy. And the biggest but of all, (laughs) sorry, I teach youth, give me a break. But surely God can't use me. I'm too fill in the blank. Stupid, broken, poor, young, female. Let me just say right now, Holy Spirit is not saying these things to you. He's not. You have been chosen. You have been called. And you are being fashioned and shaped to be more like Jesus as you submit your life to him and obey him. You see, obedience in ministry requires that we listen to the spirit and reject the voice of the enemy. This is an ongoing battle for the rest of your life. This is, this is our battlefield right here. Very few of us battle physically for the kingdom of God. But every person I know who claims the name of Jesus battles spiritually here. Obedience in ministry requires that we listen to the spirit and reject the voice of the enemy. The enemy will always try to tell us we are not good enough or smart enough. And the truth is, apart from the head of our body, newsflash, we're not enough. We can't do everything. We are flesh without direction. And that flesh was given some really great things. But for the follower of Jesus, his spirit, the same spirit which raised Christ from the dead, 
lives in us, dwells, has made his home in you and me. He is enough. He provides the power. He brings the awesome and the wow. And the beauty of this, I, whoo, page timer of Rolla, Missouri, do not ever, ever have to worry ever again about being enough. Do you know that that is one of the greatest tools the enemy uses against me? Even in my dreams, last night, this morning, he tried to tell me I was not enough because he cannot tell me this to my face. He can only attack me in my dreams because I know it's the truth. He has proven to me that he is enough in me. I didn't know I was going to get all... He brings the awesome to whatever task God calls me. Whatever it is, he will equip me. He will equip you. That is the truth. It's not about my abilities or my talents, though he will use those. He gave them to us. It's about his power in my life as I make room for him. Are we making room for him and listening. Our obedience comes into play as we choose whose voice we're going to believe. You have a choice. I have a choice. The enemy, am I going to believe him with his lies whispered into my mind in an attempt to deceive me? That's his only power. Deceiving my mind is his only power. Am I going to believe the one who tells me I'm incompetent and he paralyzes me in my pew or worse, in my bed? Or will I believe the loving voice of my father through the spirit of his son who has called me into abundant life? Will I hear him through the voice of the scriptures as words hidden in my heart saying things like, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And I don't mean that as a cliche. I mean, he can do whatever he wants to do. Will I recognize he is speaking to me as he brings songs to mind where I've sung the truth Things like, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. Sometimes when I can't pray, I can sing. And those songs, and for me, some of my childhood songs, all the hymns come rushing in. Tell me that is not the voice of my heavenly father lovingly telling me the truth. We get to choose who we listen to and obey. Our call to action is rejecting the voice of the enemy and receiving the words the Spirit speaks. Before I wrap things up, we need to address the voice of the enemy. Because more often than not, he sounds like me. He uses deception to use my voice to tell me in ways that I believe him things about myself. 
I get a bad grade on a test. I'm so stupid. Do you really think that the spirit that you've been renewed with would say that to you, child of God? The enemy likes to use my voice to trick me by thinking, I'm thinking these thoughts. He is shooting arrows at me, trying to pierce me. And he will make horrible things come into my mind. And I get to go, whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa. Absolutely not. And you know what? We resist, we resist the devil and he does what? He flees. Now, he may come back a time or two, 10 times, 15 times, 20 times. Keep putting that pressure there. Keep pushing him back. And eventually he gets bored and runs away like the defeated little jerk he is. Yeah. You, I have newsflash. You are missionaries. Every one of you, whether you believe it or not, you are missionaries sent from the kingdom of God to Rolla, Missouri. You have a job to do. Some of the jobs we do are inside these walls. But our very lives are walking testimonies of what God has done, is doing, and will continue to do. Saying yes to obedience in ministry isn't about being called to be a pastor or a teacher, though he might do that. Watch out. It's in the water. I'm just kidding. It's about saying yes to anything he asks you to do. If he asks you to scrub a toilet, do it. As unto the Lord, scrub the toilet. If he asks you to lead a mission trip, do it. Say yes. If you ask anybody who has served the Lord faithfully for any length of time, is it worth it? You will, I I challenge you to find me one person who would say it's not worth it. It was dumb. It was stupid. I wish I hadn't done that. You won't find them. It's worth it. So what is he asking of you? Because we've already said, we all get to play. It's about all of us. Have you asked him, what do you want me to do? What is my part? Where do I fit in in the kingdom? Maybe he's asking you to be kinder to your spouse or your coworker. That seems like a small thing. But guys... Without the power of God, sometimes being kind to your spouse or your coworker is a mountain to climb. Maybe the Holy Spirit just wants to talk to you about that one thing and say, can you trust me with just this today? Start small. Start small. Maybe he's asking you to trust him in an area where you struggle. I struggle. Because he loves his bride, the church, maybe he's asking you to serve others here in some physical capacity. But make no mistake, he doesn't want you to do this alone. He wants to help you. He wants to give you the strength and the power 
the sustenance to do it. And he wants to give you people. Look around you. You have people. Marie talked to us about that last week. We are each other's people. And if you don't have people, these are your people. We will be your people. We will love you. He's calling us to things. Will we be obedient?